Good morning, everyone. If you could find your way back to your seats, we're going to get started this morning. Um, I want to, my name's Donna Pichet, and I want to welcome you here today and those who are listening online. I want to thank Pastor Sean for the invitation to come and speak to you in our series today on redemption and forgiven in Christ. Um, it's wonderful how we were able to host Trunk or Treat last night. I remember when, quite a few years ago, when my daughter was only about three or four years old, and we had an event at the church, and she wanted to be a little clown, and which is really funny today because she has a full-blown phobia of clowns now. But anyway, I didn't have a clown costume. So my mom asked around, and she belonged to a crochet group at the time, and one of her friends piped up and said, I live just up the street from your daughter. I have a clown costume in size three or four, and I'll put it in a bag, and I'll hang it on the door, and she can come and get it at her convenience. And I thought, fantastic. So the next day, I bundled up the kids, and we walked up the street, and we took a left, second house from the corner, and I got to the door, and there was no bag on the door. But I knocked on the door, and this elderly lady answered the door, and I said, my mom said that you would lend us a clown costume for my daughter. And she goes, oh, okay, come in, come in. So we came into the porch, and we were standing there, and she went down to the basement. She's huffing and puffing down there. I can hear her moving boxes, and the kids are getting antsy in the porch, and it seemed like an eternity. And I thought, it would have been just so easy if she just put it in a bag and hung it on the door like she said she was going to. Whatever. Anyway, after a bit, she comes huffing and puffing up the stairs with a clown costume for my daughter. I thanked her and went to the event at the church, and it was great. And the next week, my mom went to her crochet class, and the lady said to her, how come your daughter never came to get that clown costume? <laughs> I left it hanging on the door until Halloween. So when my mom told me that, my mind began to race, and then the color drained from my face. And I realized, as I retraced my steps, that I had turned left one street too early. I'd gone to some random lady's house, <laughs> knocked on the door, and said, my mom said you would lend us a clown costume. Yeah, so I'm just saying if any of you have a Halloween event that you need to go to and you don't have a costume, and if Mrs. Payne still lives the second house from the corner on Owen Street, just say, my mom said you would lend me a costume. All in the life of the Pichets. So let's get started. We're going to continue on in our series in doctrine. And today we're going to look at Ephesians 1.7. We're going to start reading in verse 6. And if you have your Bibles, you can read along with me or it will be on the screen for you. It's from the English Standard Version. Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you and we thank you for your word today. We ask that your Holy Spirit would come and open the eyes of our understanding and speak to us today about these powerful words of redemption and forgiveness. 
We just ask that you bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we are in Christ and we are redeemed and forgiven, what does that look like? Let's set the scene. As Pastor Sean shared with us a few weeks ago, when Paul was speaking of this concept, he had been based in Ephesus for quite some time. And that's in western Turkey. And it was a hubbub of Asia Minor. Ephesus was a massive city with a huge population. But what most people don't realize is it had one of the largest slave markets of its time. Being a city of around 250,000 people, a third of those would have been slaves. People came from all over Europe to buy slaves in Ephesus and attend the slave market there. They would go up and down the aisles and they would peruse the slaves as though they were buying a horse. They would line the slaves up and they would inspect them from head to toe. The buyer was allowed to physically beat the slave to see how much it could endure. He was also allowed to pull open the mouth of a slave and look at his teeth to see if they were rotten or not to see what kind of health the slave was in before he made an offer to purchase. Then the slaves would be ready for the auction block. And in Paul's time, slaves were not just lowly people that did manual labor. But in this time, slaves were well-educated people. Doctors were slaves. School teachers were slaves. Architects were slaves. There were even some famous philosophers who were slaves in this day and age. Male slaves would usually cost more than women, only because they could do more physical labor. But a beautiful girl or a well-educated person could fetch a hefty sum. And many of the slaves looked like everyone else, just like us sitting here today. And a wealthy family in Ephesus could own up to 200 slaves. Then when they were purchased, they spent a life in slavery, and many of them were severely abused. So this is the scene and the picture that God is portraying through Paul. As he speaks to those people of that time, And as the word of God speaks to us today, all of us are slaves if we've never been touched by the grace of God or identified him as our Lord and Savior. We are essentially slaves in Satan's slave market until Jesus comes to save us. We remain a slave in that market until we are redeemed, forgiven, and saved. So what does it mean to be redeemed? Since Jesus redeemed us, we need to know all the powerful images that are contained in this New Testament word. The word redeemed in the New Testament is probably one of the most important words that you will ever comprehend, and it's so essential to your Christian walk. To understand what it means to be redeemed, we have to go back to the Greek language. As we know, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and the New Testament is written in Greek. So we have to look at the original Greek meaning. The first word we're going to look at is agradazo. And it literally means to buy in the slave market. The Lord Jesus bought us while we were in the slave market of sin. 
It comes from 1 Corinthians 6.20, where it says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, from whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The second word we're going to look at is agridazo. And it means to buy one out of the slave market, to buy for oneself. And it comes from Galatians 3.13 where it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. And Galatians 4.5 where it says, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might become the adoption of sons. We're going to look at one more root word where it says in Titus 2.14, it says, Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for his good works. That word redeemed is the root word lutro. And it means by paying a ransom, to, re to redeem. To release by paying a ransom, to redeem, to restore back to its rightful owner, to take possession of, to rescue from the power and possession of an alien possessor. And we all know who that is. Rick Renner says, the word lutro was used in a very another very significant way, and it was used to convey the concept of redemption when a very kind and compassionate person would go to the slave market for the sole purpose of buying slaves to liberate them and set them free. And that's why Paul is using the word redemption. It's quite a picture. Funny today how we have all these dog and cat rescue groups, right? They go to great lengths to rescue dogs and cats from other countries that are living in horrible conditions that are destined for a life of cruelty or even death. And don't get me wrong, I'm an animal lover. There was a man who got a rescue dog that only had one leg. He called him Kebab. His recall was terrible, but he could roll over pretty good. Anyway... But they get these dogs and cats, and they have horrible traits when they adopt them. Some of them pee in the house. Some of them fight with others of their kind. Don't get along with children. Yeah, and they have to be rehomed because of their horrible behavior. Aren't you glad when Jesus chooses you? Even with your horrible traits, he doesn't change his mind. Even when he sees that you're not well house-trained, that one leaves the toilet seat up. That one never stops yapping. That one turns its nose up at everything I feed it. Yeah, that one never gets along with anyone. And then they have these reactive dogs that need special training. Yeah, we've all seen those. Mm -hmm. And funny thing is, humans are the same. When Jesus acquires you, some of you are pretty reactive. And, and you don't get along with other people or flare up in certain situations. But Jesus doesn't go to God and say, hmm, I'm thinking about rehoming that one. Yeah, super hyper and reactive. I could send it up island to a farm where it has more room to roam, less humans to come in contact with. Or I could send it back to its original owner. 
No. When Jesus chooses you, no matter what state he finds you in, no matter what horrible traits you have, he loves you and you're yours forever. And the only rehoming he does is from here to eternity. Redemption is an incredible picture of God's grace and mercy as he sent his only son to die for our sins. That he would pay the highest price for us. That he would walk into Satan's sin marketplace and he would say, I want that one. I want that one too. Actually, I'm going to take them all. I'm going to purchase them all. Just like the powerful message that Pastor Tyson preached on being chosen and predestined, Jesus has chosen all of you and purchased all of you. He has come to rescue you from Satan's possession. But Satan knew that the cost for you was going to be extremely high. From the time of Adam and Eve until the time on the cross, the sacrifice of an animal and the shedding of its blood was required. That was God's required provision for covering man's sin. And it's seen throughout the Old Testament. The language of sacrifice and the specific mention of blood can be off-putting to many people in our day and age for a variety of reasons. And for this reason, some Christians back away from the bloody imagery of the scripture. But we must never lose sight that the fact that Jesus' death was indeed a gory and bloody one, and it was essential to our redemption. It had to be man's blood. It had to be the pure blood of a man who led a sinless life. And only God could provide that man for us by giving his son. And what he promised in the garden, he fulfilled through Jesus. When Jesus came to earth to take on the human body of bone, flesh, and blood, there was no other way. So I'm going to do a little demonstration for you to show you how that divine exchange takes place and what, it, what happened when Jesus died for us. And I've been doing this experiment, practicing in my kitchen, and my, I said I'm a bit of a mad scientist this week. And my husband said there's no scientist in that equation. <laughs> anyway. So here we have Adam. He was the first man ever created. He was created in the image of God, and he was pure. And it wasn't until the enemy came along and enticed him with apples. Probably Halloween apples. Well, maybe not apples. But God told Adam and Eve, you can eat of any fruit of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for if you do, you will surely die. And Satan came along and he deceived him. And he said, surely you won't die, but you will become more like God, knowing good from evil. So Adam bought into the lie of sin, and at that moment, sin entered Adam. And so, <clears throat> in Romans 5.12, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, 
and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, and all have sinned. So Adam's sin immediately became our sin. You and me, we took on Adam's sin. All men. You were sinners by nature, and that's why we needed Jesus. We needed a sinless substitute. Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There truly are no good people. I mean, I know some fantastic people, and I'm sure you do too. But in God's eyes, we have all sinned. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So God made him his only son to be sin for us. He sent Jesus to come and bear all of the sin of the world. Jesus came and he took the sin and he completely absorbed it. Into himself, he bore it. He paid the price for sin and death when he died on the cross and he rose again without it. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him who had no sin be sin for us so that in him we might have redemption through God. So Jesus came along and he took away all of our sin, every last drop of it. And then we are in him. He has forgiven you all of your sins, and now you live a life of grace and mercy in him. And in doing so, he permanently separated you from sin. He cleaned you. He made you a new creation. God essentially condemns sin in the flesh. Well, what does that mean? When we are in Christ, sin can no longer condemn us. It cannot control you. It cannot identify you. And it cannot separate you from Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. I know some of you here today, there are some of you who are thinking, there's no way that God could forgive me of my sin. It's just too great. And the enemy comes and he reminds you of that. Oh, God will never forgive you for that sin. But I can assure you that no matter what you, sin you've committed, if you are in Christ and you confess your sins, they're gone. Cheating is gone. Lying is gone. Addictions is gone. It doesn't matter what it is. Jesus has absorbed all of your sins. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us all from unrighteousness. I love Psalms 103.12 where it says, David says, as far as the east is from the west, so God has removed our transgressions from us. And I shared this in a previous message before, but it's worth repeating 
Because you have to understand, Samuel Neal from Christianity Today says he likes David's choice of words from the east to the west because it paints a picture of infinite distance. God knew that you could measure the distance between the north and the south poles. That's why he didn't say he removed your sin from the north and the south. It's about 40,000 kilometers and it can be measured. But no matter how far you go to the east, you can take another step. And the same is as far as you go to the west, you can still take another step. And so, therefore, the distance between the east and the west is immeasurable. It's best expressed as infinite distance. That's how far God has removed our sin from us. It resides in us no more. During the years when slavery was legal in the United States, a gentleman happened upon slave market in the crowded streets, and the man paused to observe the activities. As he watched from the edge of the crowd, he saw one slave after another being led to the platform. Their hands and their feet were shackled with rope, They were being led by animals. The man paused to observe. And then he saw at the back of the crowd a young girl. And she was absolutely terrified. They were displayed before a jeering crowd. Auctioned off one by one. Some onlookers would inspect the merchandise, grabbing disrespectfully at the women, checking out the muscles on the arms of the men. But the gentleman was caught by that one girl at the back who was absolutely terrified. As the auctioneer opened the bidding that day, when the girl came out, the gentleman shouted out a bid, twice as much for anyone else that day. There was silence for, the, for an instant, and then the gavel fell. And the words were heard, sold to the gentleman. The gentleman stepped forward to gather his purchase that he had made. The rope which bound the girl's hands was given to the man. And he said, follow me. And she did reluctantly. She stared at the ground, and then she looked up and she spit in his face. He smiled at her gently as he took a handkerchief from his pocket and he wiped the spittle from his face. When a slave was set free, there were legal documents that had to be prepared that were necessary. So the gentleman went and paid the purchase price, and he signed the necessary papers. And then when the transaction was complete, he turned to the young girl, and he presented the documents to her. Startled, she looked at him, and with uncertainty and her eyes narrowed, she said, what are you doing? The gentleman responded to her, and he said, Take these papers. I bought you to make you free. As long as you have these papers in your possession, no one else can hold you captive. You can never be a slave again to any man or woman. The girl looked into his face. What was happening? There was silence. And slowly she said, You bought me to make me free? You bought me to make me free? Was it possible that a stranger had just granted her freedom and never again would she be held in bondage or servitude again? 
Through her tears of joy and gratitude, she began to realize the significance of what had just happened. And she fell to her knees and weeping, she looked up at the gentleman and she said, you bought me to make me free? I'll serve you forever. You and I were once bound in slavery. You and I were purchased from Satan's sin market. When Jesus came, he paid the ransom. He paid the purchase price and he paid with his shed blood on Calvary. That's what the Bible calls redemption. In Jesus Christ, you have redemption through his blood, through the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of this grace that he lavished upon you. That's what Ephesians 1.7 is all about. For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. I think we all need to declare, I will serve you forever to the Lord today. He paid a great price for you. So here you are today. And for those who have accepted Jesus and know him as their savior, you have been bought from the marketplace of sin and now you reside in him, clean and forgiven. You are a new creation. All the old is passed away and you are made new. And let me tell you, when the enemy comes to pick a fight, and he will, you have to know your identity. You have to know that you are in Christ, and that's where you stand. And then when the enemy looks at you, he doesn't see you, but he sees Jesus. And it's a whole different battle. Now, perhaps sickness and disease has taken hold of your life. You know that Jesus not only died on the cross for your sins, but he also died for our sicknesses. And by his blood, we're made whole. Isaiah 53, 4 to 5 says, Surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, struck down and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are whole. So I know that there are those here today who are sick. And I want you to picture yourself in Christ right now. I want you to see yourself in him. Because it doesn't matter what sickness you have, whether it's chronic pain, it's gone in Jesus' name. Backaches, kidney disease, doesn't matter what it is. Addictions are gone in Jesus' name. Cancer, I don't care what number it is, it's gone in Jesus' name as we reside in him. Because he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask and pray. We need to come to him and see ourselves in him. And then we have that abundant life. December 18th, 1865 was a special day in the United States of America for those who lived under the 13th Amendment. 
because the bill was passed to abolish slavery from that day forward. But not every slave heard the good news. And those who didn't continued to live in slavery. Others did hear the good news, but they didn't understand it. They didn't know what it meant. And why the confusion? Because many of the plantation owners kept the truth from the slaves. They knew the moment they found out the truth, their free labor would be gone. But as long as they didn't understand, they would continue to serve that master. We often find ourselves in a similar situation. We may not be the property of a plantation owner, but we live in bondage to vicious sins and addictions. And no matter how hard we try and rid ourselves of them, they cling stubbornly to our souls, keeping us in a sound state of defeat. Jesus, however, came to proclaim your freedom. He says, if you hold to my teaching and you truly are my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Freedom is not a question of what we consider to be truth. Freedom is just a question of what we consider to be truth. Just like the former slaves after December 18, 1865, some enjoyed their freedom because they knew the truth. But others continued to live in bondage, and that became their current reality. It doesn't have to be that way because Jesus is our current reality. When we abide in him, we truly come into the abundant life that he promised to us, that he lavishes on us with all grace and mercy. It literally means to be full and have everything we need. Romans 8, 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery to fall back in fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. And for this we cry, Abba, Father. Now, some of you here today have never asked the Lord Jesus to be your Savior. You are essentially still owned by Satan and reside in sin's marketplace. But as you sit here today or listen online, I want you to know that Jesus came to the marketplace today, this hour, this minute, for you. He has purchased you. He wants to give you a life and a hope and a future. Satan wants to come and use you and abuse you and check your teeth out. And he doesn't have a dental plan. But for those of you who want to accept the Lord as your Savior, I want to pray with you today. So for all eyes closed, if we could close our eyes. If there's anyone here today who wants to accept the Lord as their Savior, I want to pray with you. And I just want you to raise your hand quickly and then put it down. Just raise your hand and then I'll pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Pray with me. And if you're listening online, you can pray with me too. Lord, I want to thank you for loving me so much that you sacrificed your life on the cross for mine. 
that you ransomed me out of slavery and you paid for my sins. I truly want you to be my Lord and Savior and I want to follow you all the days of my life and declare that I want to serve you forever. Amen. Thank you. If that was you and you accepted the Lord, you can text the word new life to 250-478-7113 and one of our pastors would love to come alongside of you and tell you more about that. And for the rest of you, I'm going to ask some of the worship team to come back up. We're going to sing Chris Tomlin's song, um, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. And as you sing this song, I want you to praise him for your freedom. I want you to thank him for his sacrifice. I want you to present your request to God. Present your requests, whether it be sickness, addiction, whatever. Give it to him because he has set you free. You have everything you need in him. So let's just stand and sing this song and then we'll pray afterwards. you for each one here today that was paid for with your ransom, paid for by your blood.
Lord, whatever they're facing today, whatever trials they face, whatever sickness they face, I pray that they step into you right now. They are in Christ and they are set free. They are healed and you offer them a life of hope, a life of love. Lord, we just thank you and praise you for our freedom, for your sacrifice in Jesus' name. Beautiful word. I love listening to you. I really do. And I also want to know your magic. But, but isn't, isn't this a beautiful picture of what we've been doing all fall? You could do this alone, but when you do it with Jesus, like when you are in Christ, it all changes. So we've been asking you all through this whole entire fall, what are you into? And we hope today that you'll recognize that being in Christ is everything because he loves you a lot. He thinks you're pretty cool. And that's a good word for us to be able to walk out into this week with. Yes? Amen. Number one, if you are brand new to us today, welcome to Colwood Church. You're going to know this about us really quickly. We're all about Jesus. <laughs> and so we are excited that you're here. And if you are here and new, we're asking you to go to our Welcome Center, which is in the back. Pastor Tyson and Pastor James are back there right now. They'd love to meet you. In fact, they'll give you a bracelet or something, too, that says you're in to Jesus Christ. Right, guys? We'll do that. All right. Make sure you pick up your Christmas catalog. It's now time for us to bless nations of our world. It will be fantastic as we go, but as you go, we are in Christ. Church, we love you. We will see you next week. Have a great week.